Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you. Well, to kind of see you uh, and to be able to spend uh, some more time in the book of Proverbs. And you'll have noticed already that our reading isn't from the book of Proverbs. Uh, but we're going to come we're going to come back to that reading that we had from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to see how really it reflects so incredibly on on one particular proverb, which we're going to be looking at. But the subject for this afternoon uh, is the wisdom of self-reflection. Every age, uh, I think in all of time, has its own unique um, challenges, troubles and confusions. Every age has its own issues. But I think we can consider our age to have one particular feature, many others as well, but one particular feature which I find really fascinating is that we have a dilemma between self-expression and self-reflection. Uh, self-reflection is something that is so encouraged in our age, and yet at the same time, self-expression is something which uh, is incredibly re uh, uh, prominent. So I thought I'd, I'd do a very unscientific analysis, um, jumped onto Instagram and searched on the hashtag self-expression, and there are 600,000 postings with the hashtag self-expression. Um, jumped onto Instagram as well and looked for the hashtag self-reflection, and there are a million um, postings with the hashtag self-reflection, just over a million. And yet one, I think it was on the second or third row down on my screen, it, it made me smile because it captured the dilemma of our age, the confusion. Under the hashtag self-reflection was this, uh, and it was in one of those sort of motivational style texts, um, homework. Reflect on your masks at work, which I thought was really absolutely fascinating. What that homework for self-reflection is encouraging us to do is ask the question and consider this. Consider how your work environment constrains you from your ability to self-express. Isn't that amazing? Under self-reflection, there is something which questions our inability to self-express. What a, an incredible kind of conflict and confusion and mess uh, that we end up in in this world of self-expression and self-reflection. Uh, and so if we're coming to the Bible and we're saying, uh, as we look at the Bible, and as we consider the book of Proverbs, we're seeing that Proverbs is in a particular location in the Old Testament. It's, it's wisdom literature. And the New Testament tells us that all of the Old Testament is of benefit to us. We want to ask the question, how does the Bible speak about this idea of self-reflection? Because I think the challenge that we face is that the God of our age is at least one of the gods of our age. Uh, we are definitely we are definitely pluralistic. We have many gods, but at least one of the gods of our age is our absolute right to self-expression. Uh, and so let's have a think about what Proverbs says about the challenge of self-expression and self-reflection and see how that takes us on a journey 
through the rest of the Bible and ultimately brings us to a place where the gospel itself is woven into this whole story of self-reflection and self-expression. I'm not sure how it happened, but somehow we've managed to create this idea that one of the one of the ways in which we can think of Proverbs is almost like a black mirror. Something to look at, something to use, something to re reflect into the, the potential of the bleakness of the human condition. I think that's the idea of black mirror, the idea that we can look into the bleakness of the human condition. Um, now, I, I want to, well, maybe it's helpful to just point out here, we often talk about the Bible um, reflecting on the bleakness of the human condition and then bringing hope. But, but actually, black mirror is a phrase, as we've said, is used in our culture. And it shows that our culture has a tremendous commitment. It's, it's fascinated by peering into the bleakness of the human condition as well. So let's have a look at what we might draw from, from Proverbs as we use Proverbs as a black mirror of our human condition. The first proverb I want to come to as we think about self-reflection is this. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 9. And it says this, better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. It's a really simple, like pretty much all of the Proverbs, really pithy, makes you think, confronts you, gets you to really work it through. Um, what is going on here? How is this speaking to me? How is God's word speaking to me at this moment in time? And what are some of the implications of it? It works like this. This proverb works in this particular way. If you look at the, uh, the first part of the proverb, the nobody and servant bit, the proverb is saying this, you might be a successful person who has a servant, but it is better to be a nobody. In other words, it's saying somebody who is wise, somebody who is living wise, behaves like a nobody, even if they've been successful enough to have servants. Because the alternative, the other side of that pattern of behavior is to pretend to be somebody when you're starving, when you haven't got any food. When I read that proverb, I, I don't think you can think of a better capture, a better confrontation, a better black mirror, if you like, to speak to the, our commitment in our society today to, on the one hand, if we are successful, to parade it in front of everybody, and at the same time, to pretend to be somebody when we actually aren't anybody. It just speaks so powerfully. We, many of us who are watching the, the kind of the documentaries that are, are consumed with our whole uh, shift in the dynamic of human conversation and human relationship, the shift in the dynamic to social platforms uh, and the way in which uh, digital communication is becoming such a prominent 
way in which we identify who we are, we portray who we are. We are repeatedly concerned, and and many of you will be concerned maybe for your uh, for your children or for your grandchildren or whoever it might be when you are considering this. There is such a huge, colossal pressure for us to portray ourselves as being somebody, as, as achieving. Almost we could capture that parable, uh, hashtag living my best life. And yet we know, we are convinced, we see it so often that what is portrayed is contrary to what might actually be the case in so many people's situations. And the message of the Bible is just pushing into that tendency of our human pattern of thinking. And it's saying, look, just just stop. It's saying it's better to be a nobody, even if you're successful. Because if you portray yourself to be a somebody when you're not actually in that situation, that's not a good thing. In fact, it's better to be a somebody and still portray yourself as a nobody. Why does it say that? Why is it suggesting that that is a good way to live? I think what Proverbs is pushing into is that we have a tendency to be driven by the fears of what other people think of us. And the fears of what other people think of us are much bigger than the confidence that we have in the knowledge that God sees us and knows us if we are believers in him. And that's what this proverb is saying. It's saying God is speaking to us here and he's saying to us, it's better to be a nobody. It's almost as though he's got this trajectory of thinking, which is saying it's better for you to, to portray yourself as a nobody because I've got you, because I see you. I know who you are. That is the, the hope that comes out of a par parable like this. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about portraying yourself to be a particular kind of somebody. I know you. That's where wisdom comes. I know you. I'm with you. I have you. I've got you. I can see who you are. Do you see how powerful that is in terms of the the idea that this is God speaking to us? We read that and there is a possibility that we read that and we fall into more, more of a despair. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a somebody. I'm a nobody anyway. And, and, and the message is, look, from the perspective and from the sight of God, if you know him, if you are in a relationship with him, he is speaking to you through this verse. And he says, I see you. So what is he encouraging us to do is to reflect. To really deeply reflect. And that's what Proverbs calls us to do. So let's just reflect a little more. Because there is a proverb which then aligns with the storyline of the Bible. They all do. But this one particularly, as we think about self-reflection, particularly aligns. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8, it says this. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, 
but the folly of fools is deception. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of the fools is deception. Give thought to the, your ways. Dig deep. Dig deep inside. Think about. Consider. How does that work through the storyline of the Bible? What happens when we dig really deeply? Well, on the face of it, we have this alternative to digging really deeply, which is folly and it's deception. Is today's tendency to comparison all that new? Is it all that new? Well, actually, if we take ourselves all the way forward to the time of Jesus, we see that that Jesus confronts the religious elite in one particular moment when they are on a mission of self-deception. And it works like this. He's been speaking to them and they are outraged because they see that the disciples who are with Jesus have not washed their hands before they've eaten. That's an outrage. And their, their, their tendency is to look on the outside, not to deeply reflect, but to look on the outside and say, look at, look at your disciples. They are not, they're not following the law. I am comparing myself with your disciples and I am saying your disciples are inferior. What's going on? This is, this is an outrage. This is, this is what we've wrapped around the law of God. We've said that these things are the things which make up what it is to be faithful to God. And Jesus responds with this, which in one sense is some of the most devastating words when we become truly self-reflective. And it's this. Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. I'll read it to you. Jesus says, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. That is so counterintuitive to the age in which we live. We have an absolute commitment to this concept, which is the idea that the good inside of me is being suppressed, is being misshapen by the bad from out there. That anything that we do, which is falling into those categories that we consider sexual immorality, theft, murder, arrogance, envy, all of those things. The only way in which we behave like that is because something outside of us has come in and made us do that. And Jesus says, do you know, if you think like that, you've got the equation back to front. It's not what comes from outside that causes those issues. It's what comes from the inside. Now, we all know that there are patterns of behavior that can result from things that have happened to us. So many of us can say that that is absolutely the case. 
but it is our reactions, it's still our responses. There is a general tendency in humanity, which is borne out by Proverbs 14.8, give thought to your ways, borne out by Jesus's words, which is this, true reflection is the self-realization, the self-reflection of the true condition of the human heart. That is ultimately seen in Jesus, the black mirror of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8. How incredibly humbling, how devastating on one sense. And if we had to leave the message of the Bible at that point, we would be crushed. But the great news is that that isn't the complete message of the Bible, but it is the starting point. It's where the good news builds from. It's understanding that. It's coming to terms with the self-reflection that it is a heart problem that we have that opens the floodgates opens the potential for the good news to emerge. And so let's have, let's take ourselves now on a journey of redeeming reflection. If we have been humbled by the fact that we are confronted with the human condition, then humility can actually be the foundations for hope. The third parable that I want to consider is uh, Proverbs 25, and it's 25, 6, and 7. And it says this. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him, the king, to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Do you see the connection with the previous parables and with the black mirror of the human condition that Jesus reveals? There is a tendency for us to have a higher opinion of ourselves. And this parable says, before the king's presence, it is better for you to humble yourself, to be exalted, than for you to exalt yourself, to then be humbled. Proverbs 25, 6 to 7. Now let's flick back to Luke chapter 14, 7 to 11. Because the comparison is incredible. Jesus effectively articulates this very proverb with the uh, reading that Laura read for us. He says, as he watches uh, the way the guests picked their place at the table, he sees that there is a tendency for people to elevate themselves at the wedding feast. He sees that there's a tendency to push themselves up to the top table, to push themselves to the highest place. And he says, look, that's not how to be, because there is a possibility when you exalt yourself. In fact, there's a, an expectation that when you exalt yourself, you're going to end up humbled. Because somebody is going to come in and the, the head of the table is going to say, the head of the wedding feast is going to say, that's not your place. You've got to sit somewhere else. 
how devastating that would be. There are things which could, wedding, oh man, wedding plans for for table seat, seating and all of that kind of thing can be such a challenge, can't it? Um, probably the most devastating is actually uh, turning up at a wedding reception uh, and then not finding your name on the table plan. That's probably as bad as it can get. And yet Jesus says that that mindset, that idea of humbling yourself is the very foundation of the hope. That's where redeeming reflection comes. When you have been humbled by the reality of our human hearts, there is the opening up that we place ourselves in humility. Why? How does that help? How does that point us towards good news? Well, it comes first and foremost in Jesus, who himself is the epitome of humiliation. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself. He brought himself so low. Who did he humble himself before? Before his father, ultimately. That's where the humility came. That's where the lowering came. He made himself humble, so humble that he took on human flesh. It's as though the Bible is saying that Jesus became this epitome of what humility brings. What humility is, it's that lowering ourselves. And yet, what do we see in Jesus? We see somebody who actually lived a life of sinless perfection in his humility. And there, in that humility, is his liberty. And there, in his humility, as we align ourselves with his humility, as we pursue his humility ourselves as well, we will find our liberation as well. How do we find our liberation in Jesus? How was it that Jesus was able to live a life of humility and live a life of perfection? That's a really interesting question. How did Jesus live the life of perfection? You would say, well, we believe it's because he was God. In one sense, yes, that's absolutely true. But there is another sense in which Jesus lived the life that he lived. And it's in Isaiah, it's prepared for us in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1. And it says this, here is my servant, Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Isaiah is preparing us for Jesus. And now listen to this. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. How did Jesus live? the life that he lived. He lived the life that he lived because he was God, yes, but also because he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was empowered to live the life that he lived with the Spirit of God. We see this at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. We see that Jesus is baptized. And as he went up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. It's that, that pictorial representation of the Spirit 
dwelling in Jesus, as we see in Isaiah chapter 42. Now, here's the thing. We know that what is promised for those who believe in Jesus is that the same spirit will dwell within us. That is the great news of the gospel. What's the implications of that? It means that even though from within our hearts comes sexual immorality, etc., 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 even though that's what where is the, the foundation, our heart is the foundation, we are a new creation. We are new, we are refreshed, we are those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. You might be listening and thinking, this idea of Christian faith, I know who I am, I want to. I want to commit to this life, but I really don't know whether I can sustain it. There's the hope that the Holy Spirit dwells within us when we commit ourselves to faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel very much as if the old has gone. I don't feel as if the old potential of my heart to be all that Mark chapter 7 says has disappeared. But 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 promises me this, that I am a new creation and you are a new creation if you believe in Jesus. That's how God perceives you. So my self-reflection has changed. It is I am now reflecting from, on the one hand, yes, from out of my heart come all of those issues. But that is replaced with a new self-reflection, which is this. I am now a new creation. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am measured I am considered by God. I am no longer at, at risk. I am no longer at risk of the emotional fragility that being considered my status by other people brings. You see where we, we bring this very identity of who we are all the way back to that whole issue of the way in which we portray ourselves. Why do we portray ourselves with that, I, that tendency to portray that we are a somebody? Whether we are a somebody or whether we are a nobody, we portray ourselves as a somebody. And Proverbs says it's better to be a nobody whether you're a somebody or whether you are a nobody. Why do we do that? Because we want people to think well of us. But when we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the only one who really matters is how God considers us. What does that mean? It means, actually, that not only are we indwelt by the Holy Spirit and considered to be something else. We are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit with the same power which sustained Jesus to live the life that he lived. And that power is indwelling in us to change us in the way that we are. Here's the thing. 
there is no space in Christian faith for us to just say, this is who I am. It's just who I am. There is no space for that. There is always the hope that I can be something different because the consideration of who I am can always be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We can be changed. We can be different. We can present ourselves. We can redeem our lives from what they were to what they can be and ultimately what they will be because that's what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does. To close the circle then, we should seek and trust in God for change in our lives so that wisdom comes from that deep self-reflection which ultimately reflects on not what I was, but who I now am. That's great news. And I want to encourage you to be encouraged by that hope that faith in Jesus can bring for us. Thanks for staying with us. Nice to welcome Paul back. And Ash, nice to have you with us too. Hi, Jude. Hi, Ash. Hey. Um, and I just want to say thanks to uh, you who have uh, messages with some questions this afternoon. Uh, that's been really helpful. So um, we'll definitely bring them up uh, in our, our chat this afternoon. Paul, some challenging stuff this, today, some stuff that made me a little bit uncomfortable and uh, squirm in my seat a little bit. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not the only one <laughs> of our listeners that felt like that especially that that verse in mark that idea that it's from within us that yeah. all these bad things come yeah. because you're right i am quite well established in blaming everything all my circumstances to the mm -hmm. way i behave mm -hmm. rather than looking at myself and i guess i'm wondering when we look at humanity is there anything inherently good about them at all is it all bad that comes out of us what do you how do you deal with that kind of uh, yeah uh, that's a really great question i think um without a doubt we are all both victims and perpetrators of sin the impact of sin hits us from outside of us and within us um so so when we think about when we think about murder for example what jesus is saying is um from within the human heart, in its broadest sense, comes that awful tendency to hate to the point of death. And we can become victims of that, without a doubt, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think there is, there is this idea in, in the way God is working in the world that there is, there is a common grace that he is continually working in humanity where we see where we see beautiful little moments of of hope and goodness mm -hmm. uh, and and i think the implication that jesus is saying is when you see that emerging don't take that to yourself either <laughs> okay. uh, but but see hope that that god does work in in that in that way as well he 
yeah, ultimately is is the human condition ultimately um, totally shattered? I think that's a question that humanity has been asking for, cultures have been asking. You know, if you take something like Lord of the Flies, mm. it asks that very question, William Golding, is it? What, what happens if we get a group of public school boys yeah. on an island? We descend. It's not just Christians that ask that question, is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What, what do you think, Ash, with the idea of are we inherently broken beyond belief? Where does the good come? What's the balance between it in us and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I felt pretty exposed um, over, throughout all those um, proverbs that we read out. I, the, the one that says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. I, as, I, as I heard Paul on that, I thought, well, I, I, I'm guilty of or I off, like yeah, no, I often do. I maybe even tend towards the opposite. I give thought to more thought to the ways of others, just more in, instinctively than to look at my. You know, I'd have to really exercise myself before I see my errors before other people's. That feels really natural, and the same for the other part. I I've gotten pretty good at hiding my own errors, both from other people and from you know. I live, you know that that. The folly, what's it say? The folly of fools is their deception. Uh, I think what that's talking about is the way that we kind of distract ourselves, you know, from or deceive other people about, you know, or yeah, deceive ourselves and others about, you know, the error. And mm-hmm. I do, I do the opposite of, of both of that. So I'm, I felt very, very exposed. I felt exposed as I looked at them before the chat, and I felt more exposed the more Paul went on. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. but yeah, I think, I think. I was encouraged there just by his last answer that, that to reflect on this idea that sin, yeah, this this wave of sin, this tide of sin that's just, that's been sweeping across us, messed us all up, you know, in effect. So yeah, I think a lot to answer for, isn't it? But, yeah, okay. yeah. I've not answered your question, have I? Could you repeat your question? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you never do. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I think uh, I think the other thing as well though is. It, it's precisely in that deep, broken self-reflection that you find hope. Yes. Now, it, it's a, that's actually the starting place for the hope of the gospel. Yeah. Wh- which I, is the amazing thing. Which I think it's that cycle of change, actually, isn't it? It's only once we realise we need to change or that we become <clears throat> so overwhelmed by the burden of this pressure that Ash was talking about, about you know trying to live up to other people's expectations even our own expectations of what we should be like that's such a huge it's hard to see that's going to be a relief isn't it yeah i think it's hard to see that that's going to be a good thing yeah well because it's so exposed it's so exposing just the idea that we can um yeah not not need the pretense and that we can actually get to a point because I think that's where salvation comes when you get to a point where you you're able to reflect enough and go I'm just a I am a sinful thing I can't pretend anymore that I'm that I've got it all together and I think that's part of the salvation story and but actually it's it's hard to see in so like in the culture that we live in it's hard to see that's going to be a positive thing but I do think that it is I think when you get to that place where you go so it, it's not like I guess a modern term for it would be or accepting who you are 
I don't think that's quite right. But I think seeing yourself as you are with your inadequacies, you know, I'm exhausted and I'm stressed beyond belief. And part of that's because I'm a human being. I've, you know, I do, I am a sinner. I have, you know, I have messed up. And so like one of, one of my things is I'm constantly trying to, I do strive to try and do well and try and be a good person. But, you know, a lot of time that's my undoing because part of me needs to look at myself and go, excuse me, that's my, my phone, <laughs> my phone ring. That's, I can't, I can't achieve that. That's not going to be achievable for me. Um, and the, the sort of liberty that you get when you're able to look at yourself and go, oh, this, you know, I guess as God sees us, you know, and go, okay, that's, that's what makes me okay. It's actually a relief, I think, yeah. uh, but it's, it's hard to see. And that, that's the heart of the gospel as well, isn't it? We're saved so that we might change. We don't change so that we might be saved. You know, mm. God, God always puts relationship. Yeah, totally. God always puts relationship and change of relationship status first mm -hmm. to be a, the empowering capability for us to change. Mm -hmm. You know, it, right, right the way back to um, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they come out of Egypt and he says, you are my people. And then he gives them the law. He doesn't say, I'll give you the law so that you can then become my people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we, we find ourselves in this. We, we are saved so that we might be something def different. And, Do you think and, we put that on people? Do you think we put, sorry, just, I've got a, it feels like a, a relevant question. Do you think we, the church can put that on people? So you, we, 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 in, in terms of we flip it around the other way and we sort of present, you know, you need to change some stuff and then, you know, and then, and then come rather than, yeah, just come, come as you are to use the wise words of Nirvana and then, you know, be, you know, allow God to change us. But I, th I think I, well, yeah, I guess what I'm saying, I'm not asking the question. I'm saying, I think we do do that a little, you know, I think we do that kind of as church, church leaders and probably Christians kind of do that a little bit or have done yeah. historically sort of flipped it around and, yeah, yeah. So without here's the bar. Come meet the bar, and then we'll talk about salvation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think uh, you guys know that one of my favourite words is trajectory. You know, it, it's the trajectory that we're on of change, um, and yeah. and the change is possible through faith in Christ first. And some for some people that change is is just in, exponential. Their, their lives are transformed. For for other people. That that transformation, that trajectory of change, is hard work, and it's slow, and it's difficult, and it's but it's still not what they once were. It's still not what we once were. That the change is slow, but the you know critical question is: Can we change? Is it possible to change? And one Corinthians fifteen, uh, I've, I've just pulled it up on the screen here. One Corinthians fifteen. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and blah, 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 all of that. It's basically saying, look, we will change when Jesus returns and we'll be like him. And then there will be... Um, democratizing of that change we will all be changed to the same in the same way to the same level to be uh, reunited with him so 
we tend to look with kind of pharisaical distaste when some people's change is not what it ought to be in our yeah. eyes. Yeah. And we also look with brokenness when we look at the change that we are enacting. But the hope of the gospel is that we are already considered to be the children of God if we trust in Jesus Christ. And we will all be changed. It came up as a question. We were playing a a, a board game or a conversational game the other night, and that was a, one of the questions that came up um, was, yeah, can a person really change? And some of the chat, I remember, I, th I think I'm remembering this right, Jude, was you form so much of your opinion um, or your view of the world by, by the age of seven. And after that, it's pretty tricky. And I never, I didn't verbalize it last night, but I did think in my head that doesn't sound like an answer we should settle with. It does sound like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sort of worldly wisdom that would point you that way. But I think that's where the, that's where some of this stuff, where there's challenge, isn't there? That the Bible does say, look, you know, for the for the person who's lived a, you know, for the for the thief on the cross who, I guess, as the story suggests, hasn't lived a great life. We don't ex exactly know. But even even in you know even even that person can change, you know, mag magnificently, brilliantly. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think. If I can summarize you, you're, what you're saying is actually it is possible for people to change. Change is possible in people, but there's an order to how the change happens. And it happens first with coming to Jesus. Absolutely. And then after that, God yeah. works in us for change. That's yeah. really helpful. Guys. I, I think just to kind of conclude that, I think our biggest problem a lot of the time is not that we don't believe that we can be changed, but actually that we don't want to change. Um, well, that, that can, we, I have one question that I really want to, I know we're kind of over time, but if I can just shoehorn this in, because um, some one of our listeners uh, uh, asked us about this, and they were just saying, <laughs> I guess it kind of comes back to that, do we really want to change? So they were talking about the idea of how um, to get to, not to strive for the top, because we should be humble. So should we deliberately try to be humble to get to the top if we're wanting success <laughs> in life? <laughs> that doesn't well, even work in ministry, I think. <laughs> I, so, I, yeah, I think that for me, there's a really straightforward and simple response to that is, which is do all for the glory of God. It's what's your motive for striving. Yeah. If, whatever, if you, you do, whatever you do, yeah. do all for his glory. I think whatever yeah. you do, yeah, with all your heart. You're working so, the which then actually transforms the whole. Do you strive? I think we all should strive, but but not for ourselves. Good, good. Guys, there we great go. chat today. Thank you. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to wrap wrap you up, and we'll leave more Ra for next. Well, you could just wrap, wrap it, up. it up rather than us. Yeah. <laughs> we could do that as well. We could wrap it up that way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, Ash, could you just maybe pray for us as we as we close? Sure. And then, uh, yeah, any any more questions that are coming to you as you think through this week, please get in touch with us. This is what we're all about. Definitely. We want to chat faith with people, so please do get in touch. Ash, if you could pray, that'd be great. Thanks. Father God, um, in your presence, we just give you great thanks that you came as a servant and who, and you left everything. Um, and you set as this perfect example. And even though kind of through our human eyes now, it just looks impossible that that is a, 
a, a good way to make change. We see in Christ all, all the answers we could ever hope for. So we just praise your name uh, that that's who you are. This person that we, as we strive towards wisdom, as we strive to live wiser lives, um, we know that the answers to all this is uh, are wrapped up in you. So we just give you thanks for what's at the heart of, of who our God is, um, a humble servant who points us in a, a heavenly direction. And we just pray this week uh, that we might really seek out, you know, open ourselves up uh, to go on that kind of a journey, that kind of trajectory that we sort of, even though everything around us often feels like it's telling us to project ourselves in in a sort of marvelously fantastic light, help us, Father God, um, through your mercy and your grace, to be honest with ourselves. And in being honest with ourselves, to really just um, to be able to breathe and rest and find hope, uh, because we know that you love us just, just as we are. Uh, yeah, Father God. Go with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week, guys. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.